If you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to be in Mark 5. Mark 5 today is where we're going to start. We might do this, this message a little bit different. But today, I want to talk to you about catching passes. All right, I want you to think about catching passes. Like if you were playing football, think about a receiver. And we're going to talk about a couple things that like a lot of coaches say, and I believe God's really going to speak through it. So if you're not into football, it's okay. Don't worry. It's going to make a lot of sense. But one thing, you've probably heard it, you've got to catch the ball before you run. All right, well, what does that mean? They say you got to catch the ball before you run. What does that mean? Well, you get too excited and you start thinking about running before you've actually got the ball in your hands and you're thinking about if I'm going to get a touchdown and if this defender is about to break three of my ribs or whatever, you start thinking about everything else or you hear the footsteps. You ever heard that one? Heard footsteps coming and then guess what happens? You don't catch the pass because in your mind you were already just moved on past that. You weren't focused on the task at hand. So how many things in life do we not focus on what we're supposed to be focusing on right now and we're thinking about what's going to happen next and if I do start this new job or if I do start this new ministry or if I do step out and do catch the past that's coming to me in my life and we start thinking about everything else and we quit focusing on catching the past right now. Because we lost focus. you got to catch the ball before you run. Otherwise, you're just running routes. When you're just running out there and running routes and you're going through the motions. And that's not a bad thing if it leads to catching passes. Right? You're, you're supposed to run a route as a receiver. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do so the quarterback knows where you're going to be and he can throw you the ball like... We're supposed to obey God, but we don't want to just run routes all the time and never catch a pass. If a receiver doesn't catch a pass, guess what happens? They have to start back over where they started, back to the line of scrimmage. And then they can run a route that time and get completely exhausted, and if they don't catch a pass, they start back over where they started again. And they start back over where they started again. Did I just start to describe somebody's life? I feel like I keep having to start back over. I feel like I keep getting reset. Somebody keeps hitting the reset button on my life. Maybe you're not catching the pass. That's how you advance. I keep starting back over. If that's you, listen real close for the next few minutes. If you feel like you keep backing up or... Maybe you've said something like, I take two steps forward and three steps back. I can't seem to get ahead. I can't seem to advance. Maybe you're not catching the passes that are meant for you. Or maybe you're this kind of person. Now here's, here's what some people do. Right? A, lot of, a lot of receivers do on ball teams. They blame it on somebody else. It was a bad pass. Quarterback never looks my way. He only looks at Canaan. You know, whatever. You can blame it on somebody else. Why you're not where you're supposed to be or why you're not in ministry or why you're not advancing the kingdom or why you're not changing the world or why you're... It's, you can blame it on your upbringing. You can blame it on your race. You can blame it on abuse that you've suffered. You can blame it on your education or lack thereof you can blame it on there's there's all kind of things you could blame it on well my quarterback just threw it way too far there ain't no way I could catch that it's a lot easier to blame it on someone else or something else than to take responsibility for the fact that you lost focus and didn't catch the pass that God threw in your direction
he just don't like me. The quarterback, God, he, he doesn't throw me any passes. Maybe if I was Julio Jones, I could have caught that. Right? Maybe if we had the money, I could have done that. Maybe if I would have been to seminary, I could have done that. There's all kind of, I mean, blaming other people doesn't get you anywhere. Ever. It's not the way to success. Is blaming somebody else. I got one question for you. Can you touch it? Because if you can touch it, you can catch it. That's what all the football coaches say, from rec ball all the way up through college. I don't know if they say it in the pros. I've never been around any pros, but everybody says that. Even when I was at spring training for that semi-pro football team, the Mustangs, that's what they'd say. I don't care. If you can touch it, you can catch it. That means if you can get a finger on it, it was possible for you to catch it. If you can touch it, you can catch it. So the passes that are thrown in your direction, can you touch it? It's a good way. We're going to talk about that. It's a good way to measure. Because the ones, if you can't even touch it, it's okay. It's okay if you didn't catch it. That one wasn't for you. You don't have to blame it on anybody. You don't have to make excuses. Like if you can't touch it, it's okay. That one wasn't yours. Because you're not supposed to catch every pass. I want to catch some. Everybody else has passes to catch. So if you can't touch it, that's okay. Guess what? There are certain callings and certain things in the body of Christ and certain things even in this church that need to be done and I can't touch it. It's not close enough to me. So that's fine. I let that go. If you can touch it, you can catch it. But guess what? You got to believe it. If you don't believe that you can catch it, you're probably not going to catch many. So we're going to read this story and we're going to talk about faith. You got to have a little bit of faith. You got to have a little bit of belief. And I think sometimes we get the wrong idea of what faith even is. But I want to read this story. And we've read this story before, so that's what I was talking about. We're going to do it a little different. I'm just going to read through this story. It should be familiar to most of us. And I'm not going to do like I usually do and stop all throughout it and break it all down. We're just going to read, pretty much read straight through the story. And then we're going to talk about it. All right. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue. Synagogue, that's their church. So he's a ruler in the church, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly. That means he begged him. As soon as he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet and he starts begging him. Saying, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee come and lay hands on her or touch her. If you can touch it, you can catch it. That she may be healed and she shall live. He's saying, God, I need you now. My daughter's dying. She's on her deathbed. She's not going to make it. I need you to come now. It's urgent. It's quick. Let's go, please. He's begging. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. Like no matter what she tried, her situation just got worse and worse and worse. You ever been there? Just kept getting worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind. 
and she touched his garment. Some translations say the hem of his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. She knew that she would be healed. She pressed through the crowd. She touched him and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing it himself, that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Notice he, I've, I've, I've probably even said a bunch of times like, Who touched me? But he actually said, who touched my clothes? Because she didn't even actually touch his body. She touched the hem of his garment, the, the bottom of his clothes, crawling on her hands and knees, trying to get through the crowd to reach and touch the hem of his garment. She didn't even touch him. She just touched his clothes. He turned around and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee. There's people all around pressing up against you. What do you mean, who touched your clothes? Is, like, is this a joke? Is this another one of those parable stories that we don't get? What are you talking about? Like one time Jesus said, you know the way. And Philip said, uh, no, Thomas said, no, we don't. What are you talking about? I wonder if this was one of those times like they thought Jesus was like, Saying something they weren't getting. Because what do you mean who touched you? There's people pressing all around you. And sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her. See, a work had been done inside of her. What was done in her came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. The Message Bible says uh, that she told him the whole story. She gave him her whole story. And that must have taken a while. She told him the whole story about everything that's been happening to her for the last 12 years of her brokenness and Everything that was going on, and she tried this doctor and that doctor, and they tried this treatment and that treatment. She told Jesus the whole story. I say that to say this. I want you to think, just in the back of your mind, think about Jairus, the dad, whose 12-year-old daughter's dying. He was urgent. He was on his knees begging Jesus, please hurry, my daughter's dying. We have no time to waste. And now this old woman that's lived her life is interrupting God's plan for my life and, and my daughter's going to die. I'd be pretty aggravated if I was Jairus. Let's call him Jay because we're going to mention him a bunch more and I don't want to keep saying Jairus. <laughs> if I'm Jay... <laughs> And my daughter's dying. I'm probably getting pretty irritated at this point. Okay, cool, 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 cool. You, you got healed. All right, great. Good. Let's go. Look what happens. And he said unto her, daughter. And he wouldn't just say daughter. He's saying like you're part of the family. She would have been shunned. Because of this issue, she would have been considered unclean. She wouldn't even welcome in the church. And Jesus looks at her and said, Daughter, saying like you're part of the family, thy faith, her faith, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, in the middle of him saying that, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. She's dead. So while Jesus is telling this woman, Hey, your faith made you whole. Congratulations. Go and be free. At the same time, Jay's people show up 
to say she's dead. Forget it. It's a waste of time. In the Greek, this word, your, your daughter is dead, it's a Greek word, and it literally means expired. You are out of time, they told him. Her time has expired. There's no more future for your daughter. Give up hope. Time's up. It's over. I want you to know that any voice that says it's over, there's no time left, there's no future, there's no hope, any voice that would say that to you is not the voice of God. That's not God's voice. It's not over. It's not expired. There's still hope. There is a future. Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Just have some faith. Don't be afraid. Don't believe that voice. Don't let your fear take over. Jesus said, hey, 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 Jay, don't let fear take over this situation. Don't shift your focus. Just have some faith, just a little bit of faith. Look at the faith of this woman. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And he seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. They had already started the funeral. There were people crying and upset and bringing in casseroles and fried chicken. And they already started the funeral. And when he was come in, he said unto them, why make you this ado and weep? This savage Jesus. He walked up into a funeral of a little girl and said, What do y'all think y'all are doing? Why y'all crying? Stop crying. You probably think he was a jerk. Who is this dude? Made everybody wet outside and brought only his little buddies in here with him, Peter, James, and John, and now he told us all to quit crying. 12-year-old girl is dead. Jesus said, The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. They started laughing at Jesus. This is the laugh of dishonor. But when he had put them all out. That's a nice way of putting it. Jesus said, why are y'all crying? She's asleep. They stopped crying and started making fun of Jesus and how stupid he was. Laughing at him and dishonoring who he was. And Jesus, Peter, James, and John, put him out. Get out. Leave. Go. You're not welcome here. Bye. Get out. Put him out. And they put him all out of the house. And he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying unto her where the damsel was lying and he took the damsel by the hand he touched her and he said unto her Talitha kumi which is being interpreted damsel I say unto thee Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and she walked. For she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that, that something should be given her to eat. So... Jesus puts all these people out. All these voices of doubt and negativity and unbelief. 
Why? Because these voices will kill faith. These voices would snuff out belief. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I want you to realize and be reminded how important environment is. The environment for a miracle, the environment for what God will do in your life, the, like, it's so important who you surround yourself with. Jesus said, hey, Jesus couldn't even bring all 12 disciples like this was Jesus' boys. He handpicked 12 guys and he couldn't even bring all of them into this one. Jesus said, nah, I, I can't even take all of y'all. Like y'all are my boys and y'all are my crew, but I can only take the three for this one. Because he knew. He took mom, dad, Peter, James, and John. Not his mom and dad, the little girl's mom and dad. It's very important when you desperately need God. Check the environment. You know, in a toxic environment, seeds can't grow. You've been praying that your dream, your fruit, your vision, your ministry would, would get up. But until you put all that stuff out, and create an atmosphere of trust and belief. It's probably not going to happen. So, after reading that story, it's a pretty cool story. And there's all kind of stuff in there. And it's two different views on faith from two different people. Completely different people. Jairus was a man. The woman was a woman. Right? We got his name. We didn't even get her name. He was a leader in the church. She wasn't even allowed to attend church. Like they're completely opposite, and yet they're meshed together in the same story. And she's been sick for 12 years, and the little girl's only been alive for 12 years. And, and God's showing us that in both cases just needs a little bit of faith give me just a little bit of faith and God can do something so many times we think faith is this big grand spectacular this put together thing like Jairus but this story shows us that sometimes faith is crawling on your hands and knees in your brokenness. See, sometimes faith is small. It's the belief that nothing's worked. But if I can touch it, if you can touch it, you can catch it. She said, if I could touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch it. Nothing's worked out yet. I've tried everything. I've lost everything. I'm, I'm here in my brokenness and this sickness and this disease. I've, I've been rejected and shunned. And I, but, but if I could just touch it. Malachi 4.2 tells us that the Messiah, it, it's a prophecy this, that happened about 400 years before this story happened. So she would have known this scripture. And Malachi prophesies that the Messiah will have healing in his wings. What was known as the wings was what we would call a prayer shawl. And the Jewish leaders and rabbis would wear this prayer shawl that had these tassels and it would hang all the way down to the bottom of the garment and they would wear it over their shoulders and Jesus would have been wearing one and the reason they called it the wings the teacher's wings or the rabbi's wings was if you if he lifted up his arms it draped down like wings so that was called the wings Malachi prophesied there will be healings in the wings of the Messiah at this point, the disciples didn't even know he was the Messiah. 
But she had enough faith to believe it's him if I could just touch the hem of his garment. There's healing in the wings. That's how Jesus knew, hold up, somebody touch me and they know who I am. Somebody touch me and it's not doubt and fear and unbelief and, and it's not even people I'm trying to convince. Somebody touch me and they know who I am. They know who sent me. They know that I'm the Messiah. He turned around. I, I got I to gotta see this person. Who's got the faith to know and believe? She believed he was the Messiah. Look at Mark 4, 30. This is Jesus talking. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest seed. Which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs. And it shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. The mustard seed is the smallest seed. But then when you plant it, it's the biggest of all the herbs, all the garden plants. It can get up to 30 feet tall and 30 feet wide. It's this massive, like birds, literally. Jesus, I like how Jesus threw that in there. Like, it'll get so big that birds can enjoy the shade. Perch on it. How big do you want to be in your life? Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Little bitty mustard seed that gets planted and then produces something so big that random birds benefit from it. Birds didn't plant it or wait on it to grow or anything. They just get to benefit from it, from this massive thing that's grown. Look what else Jesus said about the mustard seed. Matthew 17, 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. They waited till he got away from the crowd and said, Why could not we cast him out? They tried to cast some demons out of this little boy and it didn't work. They couldn't do it. And then Jesus had to come and like clean up their mess and they cast him out. And so. Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. You imagine when he said that, they're like, We believe. What do you mean, our unbelief? We believe. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place. And it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Jesus is like, uh, it's because of your unbelief. And you know, they're probably, oh, no, we believe. And Jesus said, no. Because if you had faith as much as a mustard seed. Y'all, mustard seeds are so small, you can't even hardly see them. If I had one on my palm of my hand right here, y'all wouldn't even be able to see it. That's how little they are. So what Jesus is, is pretty much saying to the disciples is, no, nah, you didn't have any belief. Because if you had the tiniest little bit that's so small, I can't even hardly see it, you could move a mountain. You don't have to have this big, giant, massive faith that's pumped and jacked and on steroids to get anything done. Jesus said, if you just had a little bit, a tiny little bit, You could move mountains. Mustard seeds tiny. But what you got to do is see inside the seed. 
And I think that's part of what Jesus is trying to do in these, these couple verses we just read was to realize what's inside of that seed is so much greater. He's trying to teach the disciples that if you get caught up on the little seed that's too small to do anything, right? It couldn't even feed you. It couldn't do anything. And if you get so caught up on that little seed and you don't have the vision or the perspective to see what is inside of that seed. When you look at this tiny little seed that you can barely even see, it's a little tiny speck on your hand. You don't see a 30-foot tall plant that birds can lodge in, that you could hang a hammock on. When Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, that's faith's not about you and how big it is and You've got to learn to see inside the seed. Oh, it's too small. Oh, I don't, I just, I don't have what I need. It's, it's too little. It's too small. No, it's not. Stop judging seeds and plant them. You've got a whole bunch of seeds. And you set them all on your counter and sit there and judge them every day. What if you planted them? Some of you got money and some of you have time and talent and some of you have, you got all different kinds of things and and the seed of the word is going out. Right now, I'm throwing seed. I'm spitting seed. Seed for everybody. Seed, seed, seed. Now, you can take the seed and just judge it for a couple weeks and then throw it in the trash or you can eat it or you can choose to plant it. Seed is cheap. Soil is valuable. Will you be good ground? Remember the the parable of the seeds where Jesus is like, the seed's going out. Guess what? It was all the same seed. Is it going into good ground? Is it being received? Are you acting on it? Are you planting it? Are you just going to judge the seed? Jesus, I believe, is showing the disciples that it doesn't matter if it's small. Don't tell me why what you have is not enough or why it's too small or why you can't speak or why whatever. doesn't matter if it's small. Small faith is okay. It's not so much the quality of your faith... It's the object. What is it that you're placing faith in? Yeah, and I think that's where we get it wrong sometimes, where we start thinking, I have to have this big, strong faith, and it's not really the quality of it. Yeah, that's great. If you got a big, pumped-up, built-up faith, that means you've been using it a lot. And that's a good thing. But that's not what it's about. That's not what you need to focus on. It's the object of your faith. If you're falling down a mountain and you grab onto a big root and it holds you, is it because you had enough faith? Or did you just have enough faith to reach out and grab it, to touch something? And that thing that you had faith in was strong enough to hold you. It was strong enough to support you. It was strong enough to save you. To hold you, to to keep you from death. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, don't have faith in faith. I feel like there's some Christians out there that have faith in faith. Like, don't have faith in faith. You can get motivated and... And you can change the way you think from doubt to belief. You can do that. You can learn to believe in belief. You can focus on faith and growing your faith and strengthening your faith and working out the faith muscle. But that's like hanging a TV on a wall and not hitting a stud. It looks good for a minute. 
Your faith looks awesome on Sunday morning. But over time, or if some weight gets put on it, or if the wind blows a little too hard, or if a kid bounces a ball and it hits it, at some point, it's going to come crashing down. Because it wasn't anchored to something strong enough to hold it. It might look good for a minute, and yeah, you're, that's cool that you're thinking positive and you're believing, but if your faith is in faith or your faith is in motivation or positive thinking, it's not strong enough to anchor you when a bad storm hits. It looks good for a while, but when something hard happens, it's all going to come crashing down. You're going to have doubt and fear and questions of was it real and what did I believe in and what I built my life on. and It's just all going to... See, eventually it'll come crashing down. Why? It wasn't anchored to something strong enough to support it. Hebrews 6.19 And we're just about done. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. An anchor. Both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil. See, Jesus is supposed to be the anchor for our souls. And when you want to drift. And when the storms try to push you around. He's what you must be tied to. I mean, you can't be anchored to a bank account. You can't be anchored to a spouse, or you can't be anchored to. You can, but when the storm comes, hang on. Jesus is the anchor for our soul. When you think about a big giant boat anchor, you know the boat carries the anchor at first. The boat's carrying that anchor. And you got saved and you got Jesus in your heart and you're carrying it. But at some point, when you get out in the deep or when the storm's coming, you drop that anchor and then the anchor holds the boat. You realize that boat's not holding the anchor anymore. Anchors holding the boat. Look at how the Message Bible words that, that we just read. Hebrews. What was it? Hebrews 6. 18. 18, 19, 20. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. To grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. To catch it, to hold on to it. That's how you catch a pass. Even if you get hit, you grab it with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline, reaching past all appearances. It reaches past the appearances, right? It goes through the sheetrock and it hits a stud. It goes to something deeper than you can see on the surface. Man, how is she okay with everything that she's gone through? She's anchored to something deeper than you can see. Anchored to the stud. Is he saying that Jesus is a stud? Yeah, it's our anchor for our soul. All appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. 
permanently. He's in heaven. He's standing in front of God on our behalf. In the order of Melchizedek. So in the story that we just read about Jairus and and the woman with the issue, Jesus was passing by. There's the pass. She saw Jesus is passing by, the Messiah. Here comes the pass. And what'd she do? She touched it. Was it hard? Yeah. Did she have to press? Yeah. Did she have a mental battle? I'm sure. Like she wasn't even allowed to be there. So was it hard physically? Oh yeah. Was it hard mentally? For sure. Was it hard legally? Yep. I mean, it was hard. You can't think of a way. It wasn't hard for this woman. But guess what? She said, Jesus is passing by. And if I can touch him. I could catch my healing. My life could change. Here comes the past. And you know she interrupted Jesus. We talked about that a little bit a minute ago, but he was busy. He was doing another work. And most on the outside looking in would say he was in the middle of a more important work. But I want you to know today that Jesus can't be interrupted. I'm not even going to pray for that because there's a lot of other people dealing with a lot worse things than me. I'm just going to let that pass fly on past me and hit the ground because I'll be okay. I don't have to score this touchdown. We don't have to advance this time. He wasn't bothered at all. I want you to know that he has time for you. Everybody. Everybody listening to me, he has time for you. You're not an inconvenience. You're not an interruption. You can touch him. He's passing by over and over and over and over. He says, you got a little bit of faith. Can you touch it? If you can touch it, you can catch it. There is a pass in the air for you and if you can touch it you can catch it well what's it going to take a little bit of faith it doesn't have to be some huge faith just matters what it's anchored to small faith that's fine there are some passes that I can't touch. But how many have I let hit the ground that I could touch? Just thought, well, I can't make a difference there. Right? No, man, if I had a bunch of money, I'd give to that. But my $4 ain't going to make a difference. You know what? If I was able to do you can touch it you can catch it just like if you can touch COVID-19 you can catch it you know (laughs) if you can touch it you can catch it (laughs) Jesus was passing through he was just passing by like last week in the message I believe Jesus passed through and he said stop focusing on your weakness And for some of you that could touch it, your life will never be the same. There was a pass thrown up in the air and there was a whole room full of people that heard it and 
if you could touch it, then you caught it. And your mind was transformed. And you advanced. You moved forward. But the cool thing is when a receiver makes an awesome, incredible catch, it's awesome for the receiver and wonderful. But the whole team, the whole offense gets to advance. They didn't even have to feel the pain of the tackle when the linebacker cut him in half. They just get to move forward because somebody on their team stayed focused. Somebody on their team decided not to let that ball hit the ground. And they all got to move forward. They all got another shot to do their part, play their role. There was another time that makes me think of this other time when, um, when the Bible tells us that Jesus was passing by and that he was passing and uh, there was a blind man sitting on the side of the road and the blind man realized that Jesus was passing by. There goes the pass. And at this time I can touch him. He's close enough. I can touch it. So he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the whole crowd said, shut up. You're going to bother him. And the Bible says that he screamed even louder. Jesus! Why? Because he knew this may be my only chance to ever touch it. He's passing by. Notice Jesus didn't stop. Jesus, Jesus was just walking on by just like he was for the lady. Just like your purpose does. It just keeps going. And if you can touch it, you can catch it. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. He said, bring him to me. And he caught his sight. And the whole crowd, you know, when Jesus said, hey, bring him to me, then the whole crowd was like, come on, man, he's calling you. Hey, let's help you out. Here, leave your garment here. Jesus wants you to come. Same ones that were telling him to shut up. Like two seconds before, haters became helpers. Because he said, this may be my only shot. I got to touch it. Like, I got to get him to hear me. Had just enough faith. Faith begins where your ability ends. Even if you don't have a dad named Jairus. With all the accolades. Right, he was had a place in the church. He was a leader. He had faith for his daughter. You notice, we don't know if she had any faith or she believed. She was just sick and then dead and then alive. We hear about Jairus that had the faith for her, but in the middle of this story, there was this big interruption. And it says to you and me, even if you don't have a dad like Jairus that's going out and touching Jesus for you. Even in your brokenness, you can get on your hands and knees and crawl and you can catch the past. You can touch Jesus. She touched Jesus. And she got her healing. I want you to know today that you have a big brother. His name's Jesus, and we read that he's standing before God on your behalf. He took the punishment that you deserved. And he is easily touched with your pain. Scripture says he's easily touched with the feelings of our infirmity. It means the things that hurt you, your brokenness, your 12 years of this issue, your whatever it is. He's easily touched by your pain. The old woman touched him and she got her healing. Now the girl that was in relationship and her dad went and got Jesus and all that noticed Jesus touched her. The old lady touched Jesus and she caught a healing. Jesus touched the little girl she caught a resurrection. Whoa, that's pretty powerful. 
That's the big boy. That's the touchdown catch right there. When Jesus touches you. And I was studying this message and chewing on it. And I was thinking about all the times that. All, all the times that I've tried to catch passes. That I've pressed or that I've felt unqualified or that I've felt broken or I've felt like unworthy or, you know, passes where like the woman where I got to get to Jesus. I got to have the faith to get to Jesus. And every time I do, I get to him and I touch him and and he gives me healing. But then every once in a while, there are times when I don't even expect it. There are times when I'm asleep, even dead places in me dead places in my mind areas where I'm not trying areas where let's just say there's not life and I believe because of the relationships that surround me sometimes in those moments Jesus touches me And I see things resurrected that I thought would never live again. I see things take breath that I thought were done. And then what Jesus said to them, feed her. When it comes to life, feed it. Don't let it die again. Make it strong. Let's grow this thing. Let's pray. God, we hear you. Thanks for speaking to me. Thanks for letting all these people sit in on our session again. Hopefully you spoke to somebody else. God, we love you. And I thank you that you're a real God that that can speak to each one of us through a message no matter where we are in life and where where we are mentally, physically, emotionally we we probably all need a touch from you God give us faith to trust what you say give us faith to believe you are who you say you are that you're a good father, that you love us and you have good plans for us and a hope for our future. God, thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us. Pray for healing for those that are hurting, healing for those in our midst that are sick. I pray for your hand to touch us and lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.